Welcome to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast, where you go behind the scenes with financial planner, speaker, and consultant Michael Kitsis to hear stories of how leading financial advisors navigated the inevitable challenges that arise on the path to success and get insight from leading industry consultants about how to break through to the next level in your advisory business. And now here's your host, Michael Kitsis. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the 59th episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. My guest on today's podcast is Carol Anderson. Carol is the founder of Money Quotient, a 501c3 nonprofit organization in Portland, Oregon, that provides financial life planning training to advisors. What's unique about Carol and Money Quotient, though, is the way that they have systematized the process of doing financial life planning for clients. In this episode, we talk in depth about the five-meeting financial life planning process that Money Quotient has developed, built around their five E's stages of explore, engage, envision, enlighten, and empower, how advisors can use standardized survey tools regarding a prospective client's financial well-being and potential life transitions to set a more holistic tone to a financial planning engagement from the start. The way Money Quotient segments the qualitative data gathering process into satisfaction and values, biography, transitions, and goals, and the meeting templates they've developed to systematize every step of the process along the way. We also talk about the psychology and sociology research and theoretical framework that underlies the Money Quotient approach as they are a uniquely research-based organization in developing their financial life planning framework the 3D training program they've developed to teach advisors about their communication tools, and why Carol doesn't consider financial life planning to be an alternative to traditional financial planning at all, and instead simply views it as a better way to help clients develop the self-awareness they need to truly identify what their goals are in the first place. And be certain to listen to the end, where Carol shares her own story about developing Money Quotient, the challenges she faced when her initial partnership didn't work out well, and how her daughter ultimately pulled her back into the business, and how Money Quotient is now seeking to grow its own footprint. Because the reality is that the challenges of building a business are equally applicable to both us as financial advisors and many of the service providers who work with and train us too. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast with Carol Anderson. Welcome, Carol Anderson, to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate the invitation. I'm, I'm looking forward to this episode because I know you, you have done work for many years now in, in, the, in the world of financial life planning. And I find in our advisory world, one of the criticisms sometimes that comes up around trying to do more life planning is that it's... it's Sometimes it kind of gets a touchy feely label and and it just it gets this criticism i I find that that it's not really it doesn't get done very systematically. It's sort of a well, you just kind of have whatever conversations the client needs to have and you do whatever they they need to do and and you never know where it's going to go and 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 that, I think that's actually hard for some advisors because there's some comfort in in process and and sort of knowing like what comes next? I'm going to talk about this, and then the client's going to ask about that. You know, it's it's it makes it easier to do what we do as professionals. And and I know a lot of what you guys have done over the over the years at Money Quotient is actually trying to systematize and process some of the fi- the financial life planning process itself. So I'm I'm really excited to have you on the podcast and just talk about that that whole maybe concept of how do you systematize something as 
know, as, as varied as financial life planning and the kinds of conversations that tend to come from it. All right. Yeah, that I do feel is one of our contributions to this way of working with clients is to develop more of a structure and a system. I always have wanted to provide financial planners with a way to delve into these areas and to remain comfortable in doing it. Communication skills are extremely important. Understanding individuals' emotions and getting some insight into their values and their priorities, their frames of reference and so forth is extremely valuable in a client financial planning relationship, but that's generally not where they have gotten their training. So a lot of the planners that come to us are definitely seeking, they're very interested in delving into this. They see that there's real value, but they don't have a very high comfort level in delving into this type of framework. So at the very beginning, I wanted to make a system and a process that everyone could feel comfortable engaging in for the client and for the planner, and that the conversations could then be more structured. And I think that we have achieved that. The ability to navigate difficult conversations can develop over time, but the value of getting insight into a client's emotions, their their blind spots, anything that really can challenge their clear thinking and the financial decisions that they make and what they are really working towards is is of value. And so I I didn't want that to hold back any financial planner that had that intention is to really take a look at these areas. So maybe as a starting point, just tell us a little bit about money quotient, like what it what it is, what do you what do you do at Money Quotient? Well, I guess the short story is that we have developed a series of tools that clients can use with their clients that really help to facilitate this discovery and goal setting process that can really help the client to get in, you know, insight into their own values and priorities, help them to articulate their concerns and their aspirations, kind of guide their thinking process. And through this, they really, their self-awareness really grows. And then at the same time, it really allows the financial planner to get to know and understand them in a much deeper way as well. That way they can really fine tune the financial advice that they provide so that really matches with their way of thinking, their goals, their concerns, and communicate in a way that they can really match their advice to what the client is looking for. So can you can you walk me through a little bit of just like how you view these conversations or what you're trying to work towards compared to so called, you know, how, how we traditionally do this, right? I feel like most of us as advisors already, and we, we have conversations with clients and we try to gather information so that we can do the planning that we're going to do. Like, what's the, what's the difference between what you're talking about and what we already do that I feel like a lot of us would say we do that 
I think you're going to say we don't do it the way you're talking about it, but help, help, help us understand the, the difference of what you're talking about in the traditional way that, that we do things. Well, I, I would say that the focus to begin with is not on the financial aspects. So kind of stay clear of talking about rates of return and, and instruments and so forth, but really focus on getting to know and understand the client initially. So the different tools that we have developed really help to guide that conversation and provide that insight. Then the client gets a sense that they're really being heard and that the financial advice that is being provided is really customized to them as individuals. So they really feel like they're being heard. But on the other hand, these conversations can you know, get very unwieldy. And so the questionnaires also provide some structure to the conversation as well and keeps things on track. And then as part of our training, we help the advisors to understand the information that really does relate specifically to the client's financial life and how they can, as they make their recommendations, integrate this information with the advice that they provide. So it ties it all together. So our process really is built around the six-step financial planning process. But what our process does is really to address the qualitative aspects of each of the six steps of the financial planning process. So you can think of it more almost like a delivery system for the CFP financial planning process. It really helps to make a a deeper connection with the clients. So can you talk a little bit more about the the kinds of I guess questions or 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 even questionnaires that you're that you're talking about? Like what 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 kinds of questions would I be would I be asking that that takes me down this road with clients? Well the the one that is most frequently introduced at the very beginning of a client conversation, oftentimes even with a prospect, is our financial satisfaction survey. So it has a list of 20 items, and the client is just asked to check off from 1 to 10 their level of satisfaction with these different areas of their financial life. So oftentimes, you know, when we talk to clients, it's often about what they've achieved in these different areas, but we put it more in terms of how they feel about these different areas in their lives. And you can uncover some really interesting information this way. So if you compare answers from the financial satisfaction survey, say to their you know net worth statement, they can say that they don't feel secure about their financial future. But on the other hand, you can see that the numbers really prove differently. So you can see that there's some kind of disconnect that can really kind of get in the way of their sense of financial well-being. So we're not just interested in what their net worth is or how secure they are, but actually how they feel about it and increasing their life satisfaction around all areas of their financial life. So this is a questionnaire like I would 
I would give this to a client in in a data gathering process or or even before a data gathering process, like, hey, before we work together, can you complete this financial satisfaction survey? So I just want to understand, you know, what your current situation is and, and how you view your finances before we start working together. Exactly. So oftentimes this will go out in a packet that's sent to a prospect even before they come in. A lot of our advisors will ask them to return it to them before they come in for that getting acquainted meeting. And then they can just kind of review, you know, the responses and just to kind of make some hypotheses about what the perspective of of this individual is and what, you know, how you can serve them. The other area or the other way that this questionnaire can really benefit the financial planner is that it's a very holistic. So it's not just focused on investments. It's focused on cash flow, insurance, their ability to communicate with their family members about money, you know, just a wide range of topics that's covered in just 20 items. So it's very quick and easy to administer to a prospective client, but you can get a ton of information about what's on their minds and how they, you know, what they, how they perceive all these areas of their financial life. Oftentimes, clients come to a financial advisor just for investments, not realizing that they can also address, you know, their financial lives in a more comprehensive way. Do you know, like, do advisors who use the the money quotient tools get pushback on that sometimes? I mean, I'm, I'm sort of imagining, like, sometimes we do get clients, right, that just come in for investment stuff, like, hey, I, I know my portfolio is messed up, and just, I need someone to help me. And you're like, here's a 20-question scale about your entire financial well-being. And do, you, do you get people that say, like, whoa, 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 whoa what's this? Like, I, I just... <laughs> just need someone to help me with this rollover. The the feedback that we get is that that is very rare. So, and oftentimes if they just explain that this is a way for us to get an idea about your total financial life and what's going on in your total financial life, if they are coming specifically like they've received an inheritance they have to know what to do with or some other major life transition, certainly you're going to address that right away. But if they have an idea that these are other areas that you can work with them on, they are going to you know, look forward to making this a long-term relationship with you as well. So it, it, be, it becomes a means to open up a wider conversation, perhaps in, in a world where I think for some of us, it, it's hard sometimes to figure out how you pivot a conversation with a prospect to something broader than just talking about the portfolio or some insurance product, like whatever the, the, the thing is that they, that they came in with originally. I guess when, if you're giving someone this kind of broader based holistic survey about their financial well-being from the start, you're, you're, you're setting a different tone maybe with the client or the prospect about how this is going to go? I, I really believe that's the case. And I think it really serves the purpose that a lot of 
advisors are hoping to achieve with their client relationships is that they can take the focus off of return and put the focus on the value of the relationship that they have between the client and the advisor. So that makes for much stickier relationships that are independent of what's happening in the market. So tell me a little bit more about the other kinds of tools and systems that that money quotient teaches and trains. So I get, you know, the the financial satisfaction survey that we might use as part of our data gathering or intake process to try to broaden the conversation out a little bit from the start and and identify those kinds of gaps. Like I look at the client, they say, here's what I want to spend and and here's what I've got in assets. And you look at it and say, wow, you are you have more than enough. And then you look at their well-being survey and it says they're extremely concerned about running out of money and Clearly, there's a conversation there. So, so what what else? What else do you guys do or train as part of this process? We actually have a suite of tools in four major inquiry categories. So, the financial satisfaction survey is an example of one of the tools that's in the satisfaction and values inquiry category. Then we also have what we call the biography category, and it really helps the client to examine how their background, you know, their family situation, their career transitions, et cetera, et cetera, have really influenced their perspective and their expectations regarding their financial life. Also kind of reveals some blind spots, perhaps that they have just accepted or thought of as truths and are, are not and getting helping them to get in touch with their frame of reference so that as they're making financial decisions they can make those decisions with this kind of increased awareness around this frame of reference and how that may have influenced them in the past and caused them to make some perhaps poor decisions around their money And then we have a transitions category, which helps clients to really explore 52 different life transitions and those that they anticipate short-term and long-term. And just start a discussion about the financial aspects of those transitions and also how they feel about those transitions. You know, if they're looking forward to them, if there's a sense of dread, And that will also help the advisor to understand how to communicate with them about those particular transitions. And then there's a whole goal-setting process in our goals suite of materials. So it's quite a large body of work in these four categories. And within each of those four inquiries, there's a sequence for facilitating them with a client. For instance, the financial satisfaction survey is what we would recommend to use first of all the inquiry tools in that particular category. And then it prepares the thinking for the next tool in that category. So it builds, increases awareness with each successive tool in a particular category. So am I like literally giving clients a series of questionnaires or? Am I doing the financial life, financial satisfaction survey up front, but then I'm I'm just talking with clients through these satisfaction and values, biography transitions, and, and goals categories where like it's a 
it's a structure to a conversation or or is this actually more questionnaire tools? There's a combination of both. You know, it's recommended questions to ask in a more conversational style. And then there are several actual questionnaires where they they fill them out and return them to you. Some are just really, really quick and easy. They can be completed in two to three minutes right in your office. Others, we recommend that the client complete at home when they have a little more time to put some, you know, to reflect on the questions and reflect on their responses. So each one is, you know, we have what we call a tool guide with tips and techniques for introducing the tool and just little reminders about good follow-up questions to facilitate the conversation. So where where does this fit in my, you know, I'm still trying to think back to kind of my traditional planning process. I've, I've, I've got a prospective client, they're coming in, I'm going to do this kind of data gathering discovery conversation. I got a whole bunch of just financial information I also need to gather in order to do my planning process and the rest. So where does this fit in? Does my does my data gathering meeting just get longer now because I need to kind of go through some of these guided questions as well around the different categories? Or do I have to rework more of my data gathering process to try to bring this stuff in? Well, I think everyone that goes through our training is rather surprised that it does not add that much time to the client meeting process and that actually it helps to facilitate quicker integration of your recommendations. There's more buy-in from the client, you know, a clear understanding of how to better communicate with that client and what issues are uppermost in their minds. So there may be a little bit more time in terms of client meeting in the very beginning part of the relationship, but everyone that's adopted our process has said that it's been well worth it. And, you know, the implementation of their recommendations, financial recommendations, is usually a much quicker and more enthusiasm around implementing those recommendations as well. So so keep keep taking me through like what what else do we what else do we do in this process? We do have what we call client meeting templates. So our recommendations, kind of a recipe for how you integrate our tools with a typical meeting process for financial planners. And we really recommend that you integrate the qualitative and the quantitative. So they're not necessarily separate meetings, but at each meeting that you have with a client, you're doing both. In addition, with long-term clients, we also encourage the use of a lot of the other tools in those annual reviews as well. So that this, you know, kind of integration of life planning and financial planning is just part of who who you are and how the client identifies you as a professional and what your practice can really deliver to them. So over the years, we have developed what we call the 5E process, which kind of explains what the goal is of each step of the process and how it complements the delivery of 
of the financial planning process. So what are our five E's here? The five E's are explore, engage, envision, enlighten, and empower. So I can you know, give you a brief overview of each of those. We definitely have more in-depth explanation of each of these. Help me walk through each of these, at least okay. at a high level. So it, it explores okay. first. Explores first. And this is, you know, if we relate it to a getting acquainted meeting with a prospect, this is where you start the the development and the strengthening of trust. And that's by establishing and demonstrating the importance of understanding your client's values and priorities. So tools such as the financial satisfaction survey, which I just indicated to you or discussed with you, and one that we have the life transition survey, both are very quick and easy for the client to complete, but provides you know, great insight to you about their perspective, their needs, and also really can help clarify what type of financial planning process that you plan to deliver to them and the more holistic view that you have. Okay. So these are all things that I would attach to either my initial upfront data gathering meeting or or perhaps even in advance of my initial upfront data gathering meeting, right? Like I, I give the surveys and then we do the meeting and I can discuss some of the survey results in the meeting. Right. And it's a, you know, in a getting acquainted meeting too, it's a great way to to explore fit for both the potential client and for you as the advisor. You know, does this client seem like a good fit for my practice? And then if there is an agreement on both the advisor and the client to move forward in the relationship, then we move into what's called the engage stage. And this is a facilitated discovery process that really helps to engage your clients' hearts as well as their minds and providing important insights regarding each client's frame of reference. So this is a qualitative data gathering process, but it can take place and should take place in tandem with your quantitative data gathering process as well. Okay. Then we move into what we call the envision stage. So this is where the planner would assist the client in developing a vision of the future that hopefully will really inspire enthusiasm and lay the foundation for very meaningful life and financial goals. So. This is where the client gets a a kind of a clear understanding of what they're working towards and why. If they have concerns, this is at the point where they can really breathe a sigh of relief, knowing that you're going to help them to solve any concerns that they have or resolve any concerns. And then hope if there's aspirations that they have as well, that you know that you'll address those as well so that this really can inspire some enthusiasm for moving forward with you as well. So these first three stages of the 5E process, you know, definitely the advisor is communicating to the client, but all the communication is designed to draw out information and to facilitate greater self-understanding for the client. So this is not a time when the the planner provides advice. 
And in this context, you're like you are teaching advisors how to have these conversations. You're you're giving templates of questions to ask. Right. What's the right. what's the money quotient role in 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 this structure? In the recommended client meeting templates are based on these five stages, and so there's recommendations of how to integrate the quantitative data gathering in each of these stages, and then what tools to use for the qualitative data gathering as well in each of these stages. So, yeah, it's... You're, it's like you're literally teaching people a, a, a process of like, right. you do this and ask this, and then you do that and ask this, and, and just all, all the way through each of these meetings right. or, or each of these steps. Absolutely. Right. And... We really recommend that planners stick to our template, particularly at the beginning, because it's just like anybody that is learning to cook. You know, it's to begin with, it's usually recommended to really stick to the recipe. But then as you get right. learn more and get more comfortable, you can start then being more creative, trying different ingredients. So that's how we we kind of explain it to our planners that work with us is, you know, there's no requirement they stick to it, but those that have do seem to experience the most success in the easiest implementation. We've been at this for a long time now, so we have a pretty good feel for what works. And so we really recommend adopting our, our templates initially and then tweaking. Later. So as I go through these first three stages, explore, engage, envision, is this literally three meetings with the client? One where I'm doing an exploration discussion, I've given them the financial satisfaction survey and a life transition survey, and then a, another meeting where we're doing an engaged discussion, then another meeting where we're doing an envision discussion, and, 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 and then I get to the rest of my planning process. Like, Does it lay out that way? It can. We do have four different client meeting templates, and each template represents a depth of process. So kind of depending on how many meetings and how many hours you do expect to spend with a client, this process can be adapted to fit that framework. So in some situations, you will be, you know, perhaps doubling up in engage and envision perhaps will be in in one particular meeting. So, you know, at the highest level, there would be a different meeting for each of these. So each of these stages. What comes well, I guess two questions. One one, what comes after envision, but I, I guess even before that, like help me understand just by the time I get through envision, where am I in my usual financial planning process like i i feel like i'm still basically at the at the end of the data gathering meeting or am i a little bit further in that i've really gathered data and maybe i'm doing some preliminary planning projections or something like that and we're doing this envision process where i'm trying to help paint a picture of what your financial future would look like because i've literally got planning software up there and we're like looking at projections of a potential future right you can definitely be working on the 
projections and qualitative data and so forth, but you want to make sure you're not jumping ahead of a client and your understanding of what their concerns are, what their goals are. So you really want to get a good picture of their financial situation, but but not to be developing a whole plan for them at this point till you have a, a very clear idea of what the issues are, what the goals are, and so forth. So at the end of the Envision stage, we have a form that really helps you to, one-page form for summarizing the entire qualitative data gathering process. And you, you know, it's a way to say, this is what I've heard from you about what's important to you. This is what I hear from you about what your concerns are. This is what I hear from you as to some of the other factors that we need to take into consideration, et cetera, et cetera. And then they, you know, it's a great way to check in with them. Am I hearing you correctly? But it's also a great way to prove to them that you really are interested in them, that their best interests are you know, at the center of the work that you do for them, that the work that you are going to do in terms of the quantitative analysis is all going to be based on them as individuals. So that's a great good way to check in and make sure you're on track. And then you move into what we call the enlightened stage, which is where you've, you know, you've gone back and behind the scenes, you've done your your data analysis, you've come up with your projections and your plan, and you actually present the financial plan and advice to them. But do it in a context that really communicates that you have an understanding of your client's concerns and and interests and their aspirations as well, and how you are linking the financial strategies that you recommend to their life goals so that they can see a direct connection. This is where you're going to get the real buy-in from the client. It's where they can actually see and understand this connection. We also recommend not giving any advice or recommendations until you get to this stage that the Explore, Engage, and Envision are all about communication to draw out information but the enlightened is the first time that you're actually delivering advice to them in a way to, to educate and inform. So can you give me an example of just what, what does it mean to, you know, to deliver a, a recommendation in a way that creates an understanding about concerns and interests versus, I don't know, how, how we usually do it? Because I kind of feel like you know, I... I gathered information on the client's problems. They said they need help with such so and so. I made a recommendation for that. I kind of feel like it should already be self-evident that I'm like literally crafting recommendations for the problems that they brought to the financial planning process. How does just making recommendations that answer their planning needs di- differentiate from what you're talking about? Well, I think that that might be the case for a lot of financial planners and advisors, but oftentimes they do kind of miss that connection. They've collected data, but they present a plan in a very technical way that only focuses on rate of return or risk profile or whatever. But this is really 
delivering the financial plan in the context of the client's financial life and their unique life goals, their unique circumstances. So I think it's a much more personal way of, and a much more effective way of delivering financial advice. And then where do we go next? So I've, I've, I've given my plan recommendations. I've gone through the enlightened stage. I'm now getting to the end of my planning process and the implementation stage. And that aligns with our empower stage. So we teach some techniques to really help keep your clients engaged, motivated, and on the path to achieving the goals that they have set, that they've really bought into, and helping them not to lose sight of the reasons why they have adopted this plan, to keep them excited about it. And once they have been involved to the level that they have in this kind of process, they usually are very invested in the outcome and much easier clients to work with. You know, regardless of what wonderful plan a planner can develop for a client, it's really up to the client to bring it to fruition. So there's that. They all have to take responsibility for the success of that financial plan. And so this reminds them of their responsibilities in that regard and also keeps them motivated to so do their part. How do you like actually teach and, and train all this? I mean, you know, if someone wants to learn more of your process and implement this five-step process, which I guess at least in, in the ideal sense is kind of literally a five-meeting financial planning process. You, know, you do each of the E's in one meeting. That is the most ideal that definitely can be combined into, you know, three meetings, I would say, is a good plan as well. So we have a three-day training called the Fundamentals of Financial Life Planning, where we do teach a lot of about our philosophy and about our process. We're very much a research-based organization. So we have a number of different theories that we have adopted from multiple disciplines. So we review those and explain how they have really informed the process that we have developed and also teach some of the fundamentals of those different theories that so that they can keep that framework in mind as they're working with clients. Can you can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, what kinds of what kinds of theories are we are we talking about in in this in this context? I know you said you've been doing this with advisors and clients for a while, so I'm, I'm assuming we're not talking about just hey, I've got a theory about how to run a financial planning meeting. Like, what what are we talking about here in terms of underlying theories? Okay, well, one of the main ones is adult learning theory, how to really engage adults in whatever type of project or learning that you have in mind. So there's a lot there that has been very informative of our work, and we teach a lot of that in our training. There's a self-determination theory, which is a came out of the field of positive psychology, and it teaches about 
What are the true motivations of individuals? What do they really need and what do they want to get out of whatever their endeavors are, what they're looking for? So I, I know a lot of us are, have, have at least heard of things like Maslow's hierarchy. We want to satisfy our basic needs before we, we move up the line. Is, is, is this kind of a similar framework? It, it is somewhat similar. If you're familiar with the book Drive by Daniel Pink, that whole book is based on that self-determination theory. So that all adults really desire autonomy, mastery, and a sense of purpose. And that can very definitely be linked to your goal-setting process and helping them to define goals that really motivate them. So that their financial goals are, that they see their financial resources as a way basically for self-actualization. It definitely can address problems, but when they can get to the point where they can actually see that it can really liberate them to pursue what is very meaningful to them, that brings a lot of enthusiasm for whatever financial recommendations you have to give them. So this is sort of this is financial planning, not necessarily in the context of, of working towards retirement. This is more financial planning as, as, as a path to financial independence where you can just you can have the financial freedom and autonomy to do whatever it is you want to do. And, and that's what we're working towards. Right. So and even in the context of retirement planning, when you can frame your retirement planning work with your clients in that way. So they're really picturing what they want their retirement experience to be like and what will give their life a sense of meaning and purpose in that stage of life. That's going to be a lot more motivating to them than just a particular nest egg goal that, you know, is attached to nothing that is particularly meaningful to them other than a particular number, which doesn't oftentimes give them any real peace of mind or, you know, any enthusiasm for that stage of life. Right. It's, it's the client who says, you know, what's your, what's your goal? Well, I want to, I want to accumulate a million dollars. We say, great. Well, where did that come number come from? Like why, why a million? And they say, well, I, I, don't, I don't really know. It just sounded like a, a, a nice round number. And, and then we're off down this road of like, right. gee, you're working really hard towards a goal with no, no actual idea why that's a meaningful goal or what that does for you. Right. Okay. So what, what are some of the other kind of theory framework items that, that you teach in this three-day training? Well, we draw from sociology. There is the life course theory about how all of our experiences in our, our life history really influences you know, our frame of reference in the choices that we make. I think just you know, exploring a client's career history can give you a lot of insight into the different trajectories that they've needed to take out of choice or were forced to. So that really gives a lot of information about the client. So this is like the the you know, the the client who's had you know challenges because they've gotten downsized out of two or three jobs. So now they're particularly fixated on being self-employed and independent because they're afraid of getting fired for downsized out of another job and it starts influencing all their 
career and job decisions like that, those, those right. kinds of paths. Right. And then, so, and just kind of exploring how they have adapted to some of those unplanned changes that were not thought of as positive transitions initially, how they adapted and what level of resilience they had in terms of adapting to those transitions can give them a lot of insight into capacities that they hadn't given themselves a lot of credit for and how some of the difficult transitions that they had really dreaded actually ended up being very positive for them. So it's kind of a way of helping to shift their their mindset about some of the life experiences that they are likely to experience in the future and which definitely have financial implications. Okay. Okay. So definitely around, you know, the field of positive psychology. And I think Ed Jacobson has really charted a course for us to follow here by introducing that field to the financial planning community several years ago about, you know, communicating and presenting life choices in a very positive way can really help a client increase their sense of well-being and also motivate them to to make positive change in their lives. And so all of this is what you cover in a a three-day training program. Like everyone just Right. Where does that happen? Like they do you do you do these around the country? Do people have to come to you? Like how do, how do the how does someone get into this training? We do a, do a combination. So we're headquartered in Portland now, Portland, Oregon. We started out in a little town in Puget Sound, Paulsbo, Washington, but we've all migrated south, and we're now in. Except for for one of our team members, we are all in Portland now. So. The trainings that we host ourselves are here in Portland. And then, but we'll also do hosted trainings where we'll, we're invited to either like a financial planning association chapter will invite us to come in and, and conduct a training. Or for instance, Yeski Bowie has, you know, hosted trainings for us down there. They, they will have several advisors that they want to put through the training. And so then they'll invite other other advisors in the area that would like to join. So typically in these hosted trainings, the host will find the venue and, you know, help with gathering the right, participants. Right. Or I would imagine even some, you know, sizable firms may be large enough that, that they can exactly build a whole gathering just on their own. How how many people are typically in a in a training, like what what size groups do you like to teach for going through this process? We like between six and sixteen. We feel that's a good size for. They're very interactive, and so we like like the groups to be small enough that everyone really feels that they have the opportunity to interact and ask questions and present you know, concerns. And, and what does it actually cost for people that want to go through this, through one of these fundamentals trainings? What is the program cost for you guys to do this? The program is $1,750 for the three days. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's a good value. You know, you're, you're actually quite, quite well priced compared to a lot of other training programs out there, particularly for, for something that's three days on site. I mean, there, there are, there are three-day conferences that 
cost about $1,500 or $1,700 for just some scattered CE sessions. And you got to put it all together yourself. They don't tell you how to do all of it sometimes. Right. Yeah. So we hope not to make finances an obstacle for those that are really engaged in this type of thinking and desire to serve their clients in this way. So it makes it affordable for younger planners, those that are just getting into the business and so forth. So it's really, you know, their intention and their dedication to this way of delivering financial planning that's the most important to us. And then once I go through the fundamentals training, like am I am I done? Is there is there other stuff that comes thereafter? Like I feel like the fundamentals label kind of suggests that we keep going after after that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We that is the beginning. That's the start. For those that have completed the fundamentals training, then they are eligible to license our materials. And we have various licensing packages that they can choose from. And then along with each of those packages is a a set number of consultations that you have to support your implementation of the money quotient process. So that has I think is a huge value-added benefit, and that's part of the, the licensing with the with us. And then we have quite a robust learning opportunities calendar. So every month there's at least two educational sessions, oftentimes more. So we really encourage that. We work very hard to develop a sense of community with all of our what we call our money quotient partners and opportunities for them to learn, but also opportunities for them to contribute to the community too. So a lot of times our sessions will feature one of our money quotient advisors and and they'll share what their experience has been like and provide tips and ideas on implementation as well. And once a year we have an annual event This year, we'll have a money quotient retreat where we pick a theme and then invite speakers to address various aspects of that that theme. That's a two-day conference. So that's in the even-numbered years. The odd-numbered years, we have what's called the money quotient gathering. And that is a more facilitated conversation type of event where it's structured in that there's a process, but it's extremely interactive. You know, there's lots of small group discussions. There's short little educational sessions that then spur a some kind of activity that the groups work on and present to the other, the rest of the groups. And this is, we've just done two of these so far, but We definitely see the value of these and we'll continue to offer that type of programming on the odd numbered years. And you mentioned that some of these additional education components are are part of of licensing. So how does how does licensing work for you guys or how is that how is that different than what I already get if I go through the the fundamentals training to learn how to do this? So that the fundamentals training really is a prerequisite for accessing the materials. So 
as long as the licensing fees are paid, then you have permission to utilize the materials in our process and take part in our learning activities, learning opportunities specifically for partners and so forth. A lot of people that don't have any intention of licensing also come to the fundamentals training for the educational benefits. So we've had various professionals that have come. We've had educators come and they are coming, you know, mainly for the experience and to have a greater understanding of a financial life planning approach. And then what is it? What is the cost then if someone wants to you know, be participating in this ongoing licensing or pay the licensing to use the materials, like to actually do your process on an ongoing basis now that they've learned your process? The, the range is depending on the package, and the package includes, you know, a certain number of consultations, implementation consultations, and, you know, a package of materials. The cost ranges from $60 a month to $125 okay. a month. Okay. So it's a very, very manageable cost for actually getting the... Yes. the te- Literally the templated structure, like... Here's how you do your meetings. Here's the conversations to have. Right. Here's, here's how you go through this process. And anyone that's motivated, we are very anxious to help in that implementation. So we'll frequently provide even more consultations <laughs> than what has been promised just because, you know, if, if you're digging this stuff and you're excited about it and it's working for you, you know, we really want to support all of our money quotient partners that feel that way for sure. And and I've got to ask just where does the where does the money quotient name come from? Like what is what is okay. money quotient? That part of my history was that long time ago <laughs> I was very concerned about the lack of financial education in our country, you know, that it wasn't you know, it was rarely available through our homes, through our schools, or in the workplace. And I was in a situation in my early 30s where that deficit was very crippling to me. And I was facing a very difficult life transition, and I was totally unprepared for it. And then as I had opportunities to work in various financial services jobs, you know, through insurance and through investment planning and so forth, I realized that I was not the only one, you know, that most Americans are very ill-equipped to make their own financial decisions and, you know, understand their options and et cetera. So I, my goal was to become a, a real crusader for financial education. And I just knew that was going to solve our country's problems. I was just sure of it. And then I had the opportunity I was in my early 40s to go back and get a go back to school and get a master's degree and this is what I decided would be my goal is to get equipped to to be this financial education crusader and that is when I learned that past research is showing that financial education is not that effective right all the all the I've seen I've been following some of this Lately as well, this kind of growing, I I guess, slightly depressing base of research that says a whole lot of these financial literacy educational interventions we do don't seem to actually have very much sustained effect because 
the knowledge kind of dissipates after six to 12 months or something to that effect. Exactly. It was just, I was startling to me. <laughs> and the particular program that I also was in was very enlightening in that it was much, it was very multidisciplinary and really looked at all the factors that influence individuals resource management decisions. So there would be, you know, the typical demographic variables and there's the social psychological variables and et cetera, et cetera. So it, you know, that was the first time I was really kind of exposed to the idea about a person's values influencing their decisions and using that as a, to take a look at that through that lens and in actuality, I was doing my research thesis, and my major professor really insisted that I use this Deacon and Fireball Family Resource Management System Theory, which was kind of a family systems theory. And I was kind of annoyed, you know, that I couldn't use my own <laughs> my own framework and the particular survey data didn't lend itself really easily to it. And so I was a little annoyed, but you don't really argue with your major professor. So it forced me into exploring this area. And the results of that study, which was pretty rigorous statistical analysis, indicated that the most potent predictor of, of an individual taking Retirement planning action steps. This was a survey of pre-retirees and the most powerful predictor of those that would actually take important steps towards retirement preparation was the degree of thinking about retirement that they had, you know, had engaged in. There was another variable that was about, you know, if they thought about retirement as being a positive event or a negative event. And on either end of the scale, it also influenced retirement preparation. I feel like that would be a surprise for most. We kind of presume like exactly. retirement's the end goal. Of course, right. it's going to be happy. Isn't that what we're all working towards? But what was not predictive, which was completely neutral, was if they hadn't thought about retirement at all, then they took no steps at all. So that was very enlightening. And these predictors were much more powerful than the ones you would definitely, you would usually attribute to retirement planning actions. Like if, you know, if they're getting closer to retirement age or if they had higher incomes or if they're higher educated or, you know, all of those things, the degree of thinking about retirement was far and away the most powerful predictor. So that really set me on this course of wondering, well, how do you get them to think about this? Yeah, and, so. and that was really, I mean, it's a very long story, but it really started all the wheel spinning and realizing this life planning approach was much more powerful in terms of getting individuals to plan for their later years than, you know, building a nest egg or whatever other 
fear techniques that you might have, that that was most important. And then coupling that with this realization that financial education wasn't working either, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, everything I was planning to do is, it's not going to work. So now what? And this realization then that, you know, if we focus first on this self-awareness and a person getting more engaged in what's meaningful to them, more in tune with what their frame of reference is, help them to set some very meaningful goals, that this is what motivates them. So this is what needs to be attached to any kind of educational program is this more life planning perspective that that really motivates the actions moving forward. So thus, this little formula, IQ plus EQ equals MQ, the MQ meaning money quotient. So IQ is the financial knowledge. EQ is this, you know, emotional awareness, emotional quotient, emotional intelligence, whichever you want to call it, equals money quotient, which stands for, represents a person's financial well-being. So that is basically what we have tried to incorporate into our process is that financial planners are the experts in the IQ of money, but they have not really been trained about the EQ of money. So we help to provide that part, and together they really contribute to the, the individual's financial well-being and to the motivation around their financial lives as well. Interestingly, we just started working with a business coach. Her focus is more on branding and communications and so forth rather than, you know, how we run our business. And she pointed out to us, which was one of those occasions where it was like, well, of course, we should have, we should have realized this a long time ago. She said, we've always positioned at IQ plus EQ equals MQ, but she said, the EQ in this equation needs to come first and that that's what is the uniqueness about our business. Yeah. We're also learning more and more through people like Simon Sinek, et cetera, that to start with why, you know, that. So if we start with this self-awareness, a greater understanding about what our why is, then that becomes the motivation to become better educated and more knowledgeable about money. And then then it develops the person's financial well-being. So you're going to, if people visit our website, they're going to see the equation IQ plus EQ equals MQ, but very shortly. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be EQ plus MQ equals, uh, EQ, EQ plus IQ equals MQ. So yeah, it was like, you know, we just like, why haven't we thought of that in the, before, but of course, that's the way it should be. So, I mean, we've had it this way for 17 years. <laughs> so, you you mentioned even as you were developing this early on that you were you were looking at this from a a life planning context. And so, I'm 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 curious. I know you were starting some of these studies in the in the 1990s. I think kind of our our overall view of financial life planning was starting to come forth around that time with some of the early folks that were involved, George Kinder and Mitch Anthony and and people like that. 
So I'm curious, like as you as you think of it today, like, do you do you think of yourselves as being in the in the financial life planning training business, or or and was that what you set out to do, or or would you actually view it differently, or, or use different words at this point? That's a that's a good question. I yeah, I definitely think we considered ourselves to be in the financial life planning space for sure. You know, I I think some of the major players now are uh, approaches are are very complementary. We've taken kind of different tracks, but I would say they're very complementary and a lot of our planners have have done all of them. And so part of our implementation too is to find out, you know, what other tools or whatever concepts do you want to, you know, continue to be part of your process and we make recommendations how you can make that happen. So from your perspective then how how would you define financial life planning or or differentiate it from financial planning in general? Well, I the focus being on really getting to know and understand the client and in that process, that qualitative data gathering, it really facilitates a self-awareness process for the client as well. And then, then that awareness really helps to inform the, the goal setting process. So they become actually like life goals instead of financial goals, but the financial strategies are put in place to support the life goals. So it's just a little different shift in the way people present it, but it definitely helps to connect the minds and hearts of the clients to the plan that you present to them. So there's definitely more buy-in. Well, and it it strikes me, we had George Kinder on a prior episode of the the podcast. He was with us on episode 15, kitsis.com slash 15. If anybody who's listening wants to go back and, and listen to, to George Kinder talk about this. You know, George, I feel like has a a more specific visioning of what what financial planning or what financial life planning works towards. You know, he views it as kind of this ultimate freedom that we're ultimately trying to pursue and that we're all in in pursuit of a freedom, which I guess kind of speaks to the, you know, self-determination theory around autonomy. But it was struck me like he framed financial life planning much more specifically around sort of a a, a pursuit of our freedoms. And you frame it much more in a self-awareness context. It's it's whatever the client wants it to be, but our goal is just to help them become more self-aware to figure out what the things are that they really want, and then we'll help them go pursue them. Is that, is that a fair distinction or well, a characterization? I, would, I think it is with maybe just a couple of tweaks here. I think my goal has been that individuals are equipped to take control of their financial lives and that they can really make the use of the resources that they have and perhaps be inspired to use those resources to for greater good because that gives a lot of meaning and purpose to the individual's life as well. I'm definitely a believer 
in the six-step financial planning process. So I do feel that that is the center of all this and that our methodology is just designed to facilitate that in a way that becomes more effective than it currently is on its own. So you would you would still kind of frame financial life planning as like this this isn't different than financial planning. This is just a better or more engaging process about how to do financial planning well. Yes, I would. Okay. <laughs> which which I think is an important distinction, right? We we there's a lot of discussion I I find out there around you know, some advisors trying to decide do they do they want to go into financial life planning? Do they want to do this financial life planning thing? And it, and it gets framed very much as a, if I go do this, it's going to be different than what I, you know, it's a different business or a different offering than what I do today, as opposed to just saying, no, 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 you're still going to basically do your six-step financial planning process and you're going to give whatever advice you give and you're going to get compensated however you get compensated. But we're just trying to make your planning process with clients better or, or I guess just literally more of a process because not all of us actually have a very formal process and meeting structure around what we do in the first place. Right. Well, and, and when you look at the practice standards that are developed based on each of the six steps, there, particularly in the step two, there's a real emphasis on the importance of the qualitative data gathering. And yet there is not a qualitative data gathering process that is taught in the CFP curriculum. It's definitely talked about in terms of in the, you know, I think it's the first class. It talks about how important getting to know and understand the client and their values. I mean, there's all the great language in the practice standards built around step two but they don't support you in that at this point. So it's kind of like, this is truly, truly important. And if you're going to put your client's interests first, figure this out. But <laughs> that's not going to be in the CFP course, but it's important you go figure it out. So I, I think we're just addressing a, a gap right here. And so we don't want something that's different is it like a different credential from CFP? Any of that? We really believe in the value of that credential, and we just hope to make financial planners more effective in the relationships that they develop with their clients. So, so does that similarly mean that that like you would encourage advisors to get their CFP marks first and and then come to Money Quotient? We we don't limit the attendees to CFPs, but I would say 99% are. It is open to anyone. And I, you know, I, I have taught that what's most important is not necessarily the credentials, but it's the intention of the individual that comes to our training. I think anyone can be effective regardless of their compensation structure or their educational background, if they truly care about their clients and about their, you know, what they deliver to their clients and the quality of the work that they do, that's what's important to us. And we'll support them in 
in that oftentimes advisors that come to us from other kinds of delivery processes or settings, oftentimes, you know, they get so much reward from doing this kind of work that if they feel constrained in their current situation, work situation, they'll, they oftentimes will break away just so they continue this work and, and do it to the full extent that they want to. Interesting. So I'm, I'm curious about this from your perspective is just, so it's one thing to go, you know, study this, kind of have an insight around how planning could be do, could be done better, try to teach some other advisors how to do it. It's another to actually try to build a business around it. And and it 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 does fascinate me that you know you you didn't you didn't simply go into the like the personal coaching training business for advisors. You built this entity thing called Money Quotient and have tried to to build it as a, a as an enterprise. And so I'm I'm curious just as you look back, like how that process has been or what, what was it like trying to form money quotient as an entity and say, we're going to, we're going to put our, our stake in the ground and try to do this. Well, the, I got my master's degree and got all this important insight from the coursework that I took and, you know, doing my master's research and was kind of at a crossroads at that point point as to what direction I wanted to take next. And I'd really fallen in love with the research and writing process. When I was going through it, it was extremely challenging and oftentimes really was, did not like my major profession much at all. (laughs) But, you know, after, you know, after going through it, you know, it was one of those situations where I learned so much about myself and what I was capable of and what my true talents were. And it was just a life-changing experience. So after completing that is kind of like determining what's next. And I really wanted to continue to stay with the research and writing. So I started an organization, sole proprietor called Carol Anderson Research. And I would do probably four or five projects at a time as a subcontractor. And I, you know, would get called in to do some national research projects for different nonprofit or profit organizations where it designs the surveys and do the statistical analysis and write up the reports or create educational programs and so on and so forth. And I really tried to confine the projects that I took to subject areas like, you know, a more holistic view of financial planning, which we come to call life planning, financial education, retirement preparation, and what I called successful aging. So those were the topics that really interested me. Also had, you know, opportunity just to help people, you know, be like a consultant and a co-author on books or educational materials. And then it got to the point that I, you know, I, I knew, so I came really kind of from this academic community, but in a lot of the professional organizations that I started attending, there were, you know, there were some financial planners that were part of these organizations and in our conversations, we really felt that some of the work that I was doing, you know, there are a lot of 
financial planners that were really ready for this stuff. So I would really love for them to have access to it. And so uh, one of my colleagues kind of shared that concept. And so I decided to start Money Quotient. And that partnership didn't go well. So within a couple of years, we decided to part company. Oh, so you... So you actually originally launched with a partner and then and then had to unwind the partnership. Unwind the partnership, yeah. So what what not to like throw former partners under the bus or anything, but but like what what happened, right? Because like, I feel like partnerships dissolving is one of those things that happens way more than most people ever talk about, but it's it's out there and we never seem to have any conversations about why these things don't don't work out. So like what what happens that made what was a well-intentioned partnership at the beginning right you don't go into these things cuz you think they're going to fail you go in think, thinking they're going to work and and then and then they don't well i i i just think that my partner really did see the potential of this work you know there was particularly in the financial planning community you know, there was a topic of a lot of conversation at that point. And so when Money Quotient was launched, then there was a lot of interest, a lot of opportunities for speaking engagements and so on and so forth. And I think there was just a conflict in values and what the company should should be and what it could mean and what the future was and so forth. So it's like you, you wanted to build a business and your partner wanted to speak like one of those, one of those sorts of splits. I don't know if it was that simple. It was just a real conflict in how clients were treated, how people within Money Quotient were engaged, a lot of different factors. It's kind of, at the high level, how you literally kind of how you run the business, how you execute the business. Right. You're pretty much irreconcilable differences. And it came to the forefront pretty quickly. So we, you know, unwrapped that, went our separate ways. But about that time is when my daughter, Amy, joined me. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with Amy Mullen. So she's my daughter and, you know, my longtime partner in this endeavor. And I, you know, I was kind of discouraged at this point and didn't really want to continue. I wanted to go back to my right. simple life of having, So you I was going to ask, like, what, you know, when you, I mean, a lot of the time when partnerships dissolve, like, that's just, that's just kind of that. It happens and it's unfortunate, but then we, we go completely different directions, but you're, you're, you're still going here. Yes. And so, and I probably would have just gone back to the work that I was doing because it was meaningful, so on and so forth, and a lot more simple, (laughs) a lot easier to manage. But Amy, Amy had started coming, working with me, and had also uh, attended some of the trainings where she saw financial planners actually going through the materials for themselves and how the impact it had on the on the client or the, you know, who are our clients or the financial advisor, she was absolutely blown away. She just thought the value was so high that I just better dare not give it up, you know? 
So, so she she was your support system that pulled you back into this, basically. Oh yeah, and it was like I could have said no to anybody, but how do you say no to your own daughter? You know. So, at a point when your your own daughter believes more in your life's work than you do, you know, it's probably really kind of shakes you up for sure. So there were a lot of problems that had developed based on that breakup that I had no idea how it would get resolved. But I said, okay, we'll, we'll go for it. So she's been with me ever since that and has been very instrumental in our work and our growth and what she's contributed to. So I'm very grateful to her, of course. I can't even remember now what the original question was that I was working towards here, but yeah, well, I was, I was just asking, like, what led you to to go and try to build this into a a business beyond simply continuing Carol Anderson research? Okay, so that's a key point. The other point was that in the brief time that I was just focused on money quotient alone, I really missed this research and writing aspect that had been very central to my work in Carol Anderson research. So I wanted to, you know, integrate the two. And I thought that a nonprofit structure would be most conducive to that. You know, first of all, it would sort of communicate that this is, you know, this is a mission. It's more than a business or a consulting firm. This is a mission for us. And number two, it it just better facilitated whatever research and education opportunities that would come our way. So we did at that point of that business transition also start the 501c3 entity. And so that's actually your structure now. Money money quotient is a is, is a C3 a charitable entity. Yes, it is. Which is very unique in our space, I think. To actually actually doing this as a nonprofit. Right. So I think it, it has served us well. It's, you know, it's also opening up some opportunities for connections with other organizations and some of the financial planning programs that are in colleges and so on and so forth. So, yes, I'm pretty glad that Amy didn't let me quit and we have allowed things to evolve and that we're at the point that we are now. So it's been quite a journey. Very cool. Yeah, it always strikes me just the 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 role of family and family, just, just family support systems for getting through hard times. Still to me, the one of the most common issues I see for advisors struggling in the business is just if spouses or family aren't on board with what they're trying to work towards, it rarely ends out working out very well. And and likewise, you know, supportive family can go a long way to getting you through the the ups and downs of the business and the 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 partnership breakups that may come along from time to time and losing a big client and just all all of those real world challenges that come up even when a business is going relatively well. Exactly. So it's a real integration of life and work for sure. So as you look forward from here, like what's what's next for Money Quotient? You know, you mentioned like 
you're doing you you're working with a business coach now around marketing and and branding. I, I know you guys went through a big website overhaul and redesign recently. Like, what's next for Money Quotient from here? Well, Amy will be my succession plan, and so we're putting things in place for her to take over that role. I am by no means stepping out for sure, and will probably never will because I do love this work so much, but we're increasing our capacity so that I can really get back to my first loves, which are research and writing. So we've been growing our team. Just in the last couple of years, we've gone from two full-time employees who were Amy and myself and a couple of part-timers to now we have seven full-time people. Whoa, that's a, yeah, that's a lot of, that's a big job. That's a lot of growth. Is that just <laughs> more advisors coming in, more advisors using the tools and paying the licensing fees that, that gives you the, the room to grow and hire more people? Right, right. So we've been putting that back into the to the business to increase our capacity. I'm, I'm just thrilled with our new employees. They're all supercharged about our mission. You know, just a really fun group of people to work with. So we just actually just got back from a strategic, a strategic planning retreat out at the Oregon coast where we spent, you know, three days really looking at our goals and getting charged up about things that we want to accomplish and setting up, you know, this midterm goals. We meet daily in the morning. By the way, we are a virtual organization, so everybody has their own home office and we connect every every morning for, you know, a half an hour to kind of catch up on our goals and Check in with everybody. So, and, so you do you do a daily a daily check in meeting with the whole virtual yeah, team. This is right, and this is fairly new recommendation that we got from one of our advisory board members who'd implemented it in her business through a, a book called Scaling Up, and it's called a, a meeting rhythm process. And boy, we just you know it's not been in place very long, but I can sure see the value in it for sure. Yeah, I'm a uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Vern Harnish's scaling up as well. We'll put a link in the show notes, maybe for anybody who's listening to this and wants to wants to check out the book as well. So we're just at a, you know, a really good time. We're going to also, we're in the process of working out a, a new offering that will be for those that would like to engage in kind of a year-long relationship with Money Quotient in terms of implementation support. Oh, wow. Okay. So we're pretty excited about this too. Over the years, we keep increasing the number of consultations and so forth that we do offer and seeing the value. And, you know, we're realizing that for some firms that this, the timing would be really well, really good for them to to have this type of offering to them where they can really focus. A, a lot of advisors really want this to become their way of being. And so you know, like just, you know, tell me a process of what to do. And like, that's what I will do. I just, I need, I need someone to give me a process that works. Right. So there's, you know, and that's, there's multiple levels. There's terms of what roles the staff support people 
can play. And so anyway, it will allow time to address all those different things, the collateral that you use to describe your practice. So there's support in all those areas. So we're working out the details, not exactly sure when we can roll that out, but we're pretty excited about that. So that's kind of what's on the horizon. Very cool. Very cool. So so as we as we come to the end here, this is a podcast about success and and one of the themes that often comes up is that just the very goal and endpoint of of success means different things to to different people. You know, we all we all build businesses along certain paths and as you mentioned, you know, often that gets very informed by the career history and the stages that we have along the way. So, you know, as as you built this successful nonprofit to to bring financial life planning to a wider audience, I'm curious just from from your personal perspective at this point, how do you define success for yourself? Well, you know, I do think that is a very personal definition for sure, and for me, I think it is really the finding what my life's work is. <laughs> and, you know, it's, I think it's it's been a quite a journey and not always easy, but so rewarding when you can really identify that. And it gives such a sense of intrinsic reward. And then, you know, the support that I've had from family, Amy and my husband and so forth, to be able to really engage in my life's work in a, you know, in a really meaningful way and to be able to have this freedom to continue with this life's work as long as I want to, you know, I don't have to quit when I'm 65 and I'm well past that now or any other kind of endpoint. It's really, it's, it's really up to me and I really don't foresee disengaging Ever. You know, I do see that there's ways that I can remain involved. And as long as it's compatible with, you know, my lifestyle needs and preferences, I am plan to, to be involved. It's, I think this whole approach, we're just on skimming the surface here and there's a lot more to learn. And that's one of the things that I love about it, you know, is, is all the depths of meaning that we can get from this approach and more that we can learn. So that's kind of how I define success for myself. And I think kind of the frosting of the cake is the feedback that we get that, you know, this life's work is really valued and appreciated and utilized by others. That's been really wonderful. Very cool. It's it's an amazing thing to even just figure out actually what your life's work is and then be able to focus on it and and build in that direction. You know, it's a funny thing. Once you find that, there's really no reason you would want to retire or quit because it's kind of fun to do. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on the Financial Advisor Success Podcast and and sharing your story. Well, thank you, Michael. You've enjoyed it. I appreciate your opportunity that you gave me. Absolutely. My pleasure. I'm I'm Happy to help share the the money quotient message with the with the wider financial advisory world. You know, not not very many people have have helped. I think to to boil down some of the financial life planning concepts just to something that's 
systematized into a process you can execute the the way that you guys have. So I'm I'm happy to see the growth and very excited to see how it grows for you from here. Thank you. Absolutely. Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a financial advisor? Check out the leading financial planning industry blog, Nerd's Eye View, at www.kitsis.com, where Michael covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies. And by joining the members section, you can earn IMCA and CFP continuing education credits, along with exclusive member content. Get it all now at www.kitsis.com.